Amen. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Acts chapter 4, or if you want to pull it up on your phone, if you don't have one at home, uh, feel free to grab one on the way out. we got some Bibles uh, right over on the resource table. Love for you to have one. So Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it, laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why was it that you contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young man arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Well, if you're a parent, maybe you have some things, some rules that kind of cross the line for you. There's some rules that maybe you're a little bit more lenient upon, but then there's some things that if you cross that line, there's severe consequences. I know one family, and for them, that that line is lying. And so if one of their children lies, there's a severe consequence for lying. And the reason they have the severe consequences is because they want to communicate to their children that lying is not something we do in our family, that honesty is important and we need to be honest people. And so maybe for the child, they're maybe sent to their room for the rest of the day if they tell a lie. Maybe something that's maybe not completely proportionate with uh, the deed of what they did, but something that's done to show a message, to communicate a message, to make it clear that we don't do this in our family. Other people, you know, it might be, you know, that line might be if a child picks up and throws something at someone else. Every family has those different lines. And when I was growing up, my uh, mother was not much of a disciplinarian. My father was usually the one that disciplined us. But there was one thing that crossed the line for her, and that was disrespecting animals. She has a heart for animals, if you know her, and that line was disrespecting animals. And it was my job 
to go and feed the animals outside. We had goats and chickens when I was growing up. And so I went outside one day. It was spring or summer, relatively warm outside. And I went out to the goat's pen, and I looked in the water bowl, and there was about this much water, about an inch of water. And it was dirty and grimy and had hay in it and all hot. And I thought to myself, well, it's just a goat. It's got water. And then I took the, the goat's food. And instead of taking the food and putting it into a bowl for the goat to eat, I put it on a pizza box and then threw it in there on the ground. Well, my mother found out about this, and she wasn't very happy. It probably was one of the most angriest times she was, at, she was most angry at me any, any time when I was growing up. And as a punishment, I was sent to my room, and for dinner that night, they brought me food on a pizza box and threw it in my food, or threw it in my room. And I, I remember thinking to myself, well, the goat had water. The goat had food. I don't see what, why is it such a big deal? But she wanted to communicate clearly to me that we show respect to animals. We treat them kindly. In, in the passage that we're looking at today, we see something that crosses the line for God. And something that crosses the line for God is religion. And now when we think about religion, we think that religion can be used in a number of different senses. The first way religion can be used is kind of as a descriptive kind of category. So we might refer to Christianity or Hinduism or Buddhism as religions. That's not exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about a religion. We're talking about a religion. We're talking about using the things of God for our own purposes rather than to bring glory to God. It's using the things of God for our own purposes to bring glory to ourselves. It's going to church so other people will think that we're spiritual. It's praying so that people will think that we're righteous. It's serving so that people will think that we're kind. It's giving so that people will think that we're generous. It's raising our hands in worship so that people will, will think that we're passionate about God. These things are the essence of religion, or another word the Bible uses is hypocrisy. And the scriptures are clear that God hates these things. In the first part of this passage, we see that the community of faith in the early church is operating very smoothly. Everyone is living in peace, and the text says that they were operating with one soul and one mind. Signs and wonders are being done. There's incredible testimony to the, the work of the gospel. God's message is going forth. There weren't many wealthy people in that time frame, not even many people from the middle class. But those who had any kind of means, they used those means to be a blessing to other people. They used those means to share with those around them. And so it says in the text that nobody in the community was poor. Nobody was experiencing difficulty. There was a man named Barnabas, and he was singled out as selling a field. And then he brought the money and brought it to the apostles and laid it at the apostles' feet so that they might distribute it to the needy. And they described Barnabas as the son of encouragement. That wasn't his given name, but the apostles referred to him as the son of encouragement. And another man named Ananias sees what's happening. He sees that people are selling their property and giving it to the poor. Perhaps he's even seen what Barnabas has done in selling the land. Perhaps he's heard that 
Barnabas has been thanked for his generosity. He, he's heard that the apostles have praised him for his generosity. And Ananias is like, I want some of that. I want some of that praise. I want some of that honor for myself. But the thing is, he didn't want to be generous. So he concocts this plan where he's going to sell a portion of, uh, sell his field. And rather than give all of it to uh, the apostles, he's only going to give a portion of it. Now remember that he was not under any compulsion to give anything. Remember, the early disciples gave simply out of the goodness of their hearts. They weren't required by the apostles to give. They simply gave of their free will. So he didn't have to sell his property. And after he sold his property, he didn't have to give it away, give all the proceeds away. The problem here is that he says that he's giving all of it away, but he's really keeping some of it for himself. And somehow God gives Peter the ability to know what's happening, and he confronts Ananias, and Ananias drops dead. Then he asks Sapphira if all of the proceeds are given to, have been given to the church, and she says, yep, all of it has been given to the church, and she drops dead. And when we read about this, it might seem a little bit harsh because, I mean, it's, only, it's just a little white lie, right? I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't have to give anything, and at least they gave something, right? It was harsh, but God wanted to send a message that this was something that crossed the line with him. Religion something that crosses the line with God. And we see throughout the scriptures that the people that God comes down hard against, that Jesus speaks harshly against, it's not the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the people the world considered to be sinners. It was the religious people. It was the hypocrites the pastors of the day, the professors, the teachers of the law. Luke chapter 20, verse 46 to 47 says this, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes, love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Matthew 23 says, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs which you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. John Boykin in the Gospel of Coincidence says this, What was so bad about the Pharisees' hypocrisy? If we think about it as consisting merely in their teaching or pretending one thing, while in fact practicing something contradictory, we will miss Jesus' main point. What we nailed them for was that they were using God and the things for God as means to some other end. That's what was so insidious about the Pharisees' examples. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men. There was, was a problem of priorities. Their first priority was social status, to which end God was but a means. What greater affront to God could there be? Better to ignore him altogether than to exploit him as a means to something else you value more highly see religion tramples over god's grace religion is just about a show a performance so religion is offensive to god because in religion we reject his gift of salvation i, I it was my birthday this past week and uh, my parents and my wife and my in-laws chipped in to get by me a table saw for my birthday and it was beautiful table saw it worked it works really well but imagine I took that table saw, 
and I put it in my garage. And then the next day I went to the store and I bought one that was immensely more expensive. Say it was $2,000. And then I took the one that they gave me and I went to my friend and I said, well, I've been really wanting to bless you. And I have this table saw that I don't want. And I gave away the table saw that my wife and my parents had given me. How would that make my parents feel? How would that make my wife feel? That I wasn't interested in their gift. But I used the gift to make myself look better. I think that's what we do with God. If we, God wants to give us a gift, the gift of himself. That's what a religious person does. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to find joy in him. But a religious person says, I'm not interested in that. But if I can use that to get what I really want, then I will. Think about it this way. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He died on the cross, a brutal death. He was whipped. The, the flesh was torn from his body. His beard was torn out. There was a crown of thorns that was put upon his head. The reason God sent Jesus Christ because he loved us so much. And so he sent Jesus Christ as the ultimate gift for the world so that we might come to know him, so that we could have joy and peace in him. But a religious person says, I'm not interested in Jesus. But I'll use Jesus to get what I want. That's why God is so angry at religious people. He's so angry at hypocrisy. Tim Chaley says this, At heart, hypocrisy is theatrical religion. Religion as a means of personal enrichment or enhanced reputation. It's an abomination to the God who sees and knows the heart. It's an abomination to the God who's blasphemed when people misuse his name, his laws, his decrees. See, God would rather have us be authentic about who we are than to pretend to be someone that we're not. God would rather have us be authentic about who we are than to pretend to be someone that we're not. There's a Japanese legend about a young man. His name was Sen no Rikyu. And he sought to learn an elaborate set of customs called the Way of the Tea. And he went to a tea master named Takeno Ju, who tested the younger man by asking him to tend the garden. Rikyu cleaned up the debris. He raked the ground and everything was perfect. The garden was immaculate. But then Riku saw that it wasn't right. It wasn't right that this garden would be completely perfect. And so he went to a cherry tree, shook the leaves, and some of the blossoms came down on the ground. He said, now it's perfect because it represents life. He's the one who is, under, who is believed to, understood, to understand the doctrine of wabi-sabi. This teaching emerged in the 15th century as a reaction to prevailing aesthetic of lavishness, ornamentation, and rich materials. It's the art of finding beauty and imperfection. Above all, it reveres authenticity. For example, when a white pottery bowl breaks, in the East, our temptation or our tendency would be to take that bowl and to put it back together and to do everything that we can to hide that crack so that nobody would know the crack is there. But under wabi-sabi, what they would do is they would put it back together, but they might put glitter on that crack to highlight it, to show that it's broken, but it's still beautiful. I think that's a picture of how we can respond to God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's two ways we can respond to that fact. 
There's two ways that we can respond to the fact that we're broken. The first way is that we can try to hide it. We can try to cover up our brokenness. Brokenness remains. The second way is that we can come to God in our brokenness and we can say, God, put me back together. And when we do that, God puts us back together and he brings beauty even out of our brokenness. But I think sometimes the reason that we don't come to God with our brokenness is because we have a misunderstanding of who God is. I think sometimes we're afraid of how God will handle our brokenness. We're afraid of how he'll respond. We're afraid if he'll judge us or reject us because of our brokenness. And I think we need a new perception of who God is. We need to understand that God is a perfect heavenly father who doesn't want to judge us. He longs for us to come to repentance. There's a TV commercial from a few years ago. And in this TV commercial, a young man is in an airport. And in his culture, there's arranged marriages. And he's waiting kind of dutifully in the airport to meet his wife, who he's never seen before, never met before. And he's holding flowers and has this kind of gloomy look on his face because he doesn't know what he's getting into. But then as he's waiting at the airport, he sees his bride coming. And the moment he sees her, he sees that she's one of the most beautiful people that he's ever seen before. And immediately his disposition changed. He goes from having a gloomy face to being filled with joy. Because he saw his bride. Same thing is true in our relationship with God. When we see who God is, then it changes how we relate to him. No longer are we afraid to come to him with our brokenness. God won't reject us because of our brokenness. He won't reject us when we come to him with our sins. There's no sin that's too great for God. The only way he'll reject us is if we reject his gift. The gift that he paid the ultimate price for. I don't know where you're at today. I know there's been a lot of different distractions this morning. But I believe that God wants you to hear something. I believe that God wants you to hear that He loves you. He cares about you. If you're here and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, He longs for you to come to know Him. He longs to have a relationship with you. Maybe the day that would be the day that you stop trying to hide your brokenness. And that you'd bring your brokenness to God. The Bible says we, the way that we enter into a relationship with God is through repentance and faith. Repentance means turning from our sins. And faith means trusting in God to the extent that we commit ourselves to Him. The best picture the Scriptures give is the picture of marriage. You know, when you come to marry another person, you're saying, I trust you enough to commit my life to you. And that's what you're doing when you come to a relationship with God. I trust you enough to commit my life to you. When you do that, God comes into your life and He makes you new. He sends His Holy Spirit to live inside of you and He gives you joy and peace that you could have never experienced before. And so that if that's you, maybe take a few minutes this afternoon after all the, the hustle and bustle is over and just spend some time with God. Cry out to Him say, God, I know that I'm broken. God, I know that I need You. Come into my life and make me new. If there's anyone here who'd like to talk more about what that means, I'd love to talk to you about that. Patrick would love to talk to you about that. Others of us, maybe we're here, we're just kind of checking out what it means to be a Christian. We're not sure where we stand with God. And, you know, maybe honestly, we don't know if anything that, you don't know if anything I said was true. And that's okay. 
That's okay if you're not sure where you are at with God. But I'd encourage you to take the next step today. Maybe pray something like this to say, God. Say, God, I don't even know if you're real. But if you're real, I want to know you. If you're real, I want to have a relationship with you. And if you're real, reveal yourself to me. That's an honest prayer. That's an authentic prayer, showing God where you're at. Others of us, maybe we're believers. And as believers, there's always a tendency to cover our sin. There's always a tendency to hide, to hide behind uh, this veneer, to make other people think that we have it all together. There's always a tendency to look at ourselves rather than to look to Christ, to build up our own self-esteem rather than to trust in the righteousness of Christ. But let's not forget, no matter who we are, whether we've been walking with Christ for 30, 40, 50 years, or whether we're far from God, we're all desperate for Jesus. All of us. So let's not put on a veneer. Let's not pretend that everything is okay. Let's live authentic lives and realize that all of us need Jesus. It's better to be authentic about who we are than to pretend to be someone we're not. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Again, we pray for uh, Mary. You'd be with her. You'd strengthen her, Lord. Lord, we pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, that they've been hiding behind their brokenness, hiding behind their religion. I pray that today would be the day that they turn and trust in you and find grace and hope in you. Lord, for all of us who are believers, Lord, I pray that we would trust in you, that we would look to you to satisfy us, that we wouldn't try to build up our own reputation, our own self-esteem, but to look to you and to trust in all that you are for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.